we may never see on this side of eternity the reason for the suffering that we walk through. We may be like Job. We may be like, I don't know why. And I, God, does, God doesn't promise us that he's going to give us a why for everything that we go through. He does talk about a hope that in eternity, he's going to make all things right. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. This week, church elder Matt Johnson continues the series in the book of James, On the Ground Gospel. Part 9 of the series was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, August 12, 2018. The things that we're going to be talking about today when we look at James 5, um, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to struggle to get through it because I know of some of the things that our church, the people that you see to your left and to your right are facing and struggling with as we speak right now. Um, two things today we're, we're going to look at, things that it's sometimes hard uh, for us in the American church is to things we, we kind of think God doesn't have a whole lot to say about, about wealth and about suffering. You know, we, we, we feel very comfortable in the life that we have, and uh, we think that w- the way we're supposed to live is to kind of rule out suffering and get, like, just make that go away and put it aside as much as possible with how much wealth we can accumulate. Um, but God has a lot to say about both of those, and they may seem disjoint to you, but I'm going I'm to try my best as we look at God's Word to see how, what, what does God say about wealth uh, and why that matters, and what, what does He say about suffering. See, in, um, in, our, in our world right now, uh, there's more things out there that will we'll try to sell you on uh, you know, making things easier, making things faster. Like you can buy the latest device that will make your, that supposedly will make your life more easier. We, we want things that make our lives comfortable, more lavish. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever been uh, on, on an airplane or you've gone to the airport of a major airline, this is, there's no perf- better example of what you see when you see people getting on an airplane. You know, people will, there's first class, there's uh, business class, there's seven levels of hell, and then there's coach, right? So they, there's, then there's priority boarding, there's gold boarding, there's platinum boarding, there's silver boarding, and we, we will pay money or we will earn miles to try to get to a point where we can get on the plane faster, because somehow we think if we get on faster or sooner, you know, we're going to get to our destination quicker. Uh, but... Sadly, we, you know, we, we get on the plane and you know, the pilot's still in control and he's going to get everybody to the destination all at the same time. But sadly, this is, this is kind of the culture we live in. Our culture will try to sell us. They'll spend billion, hundreds of billions of dollars every year to try to convince us there's something else we need. What we have is not enough. And somehow your life is, is not quite right. You, you need it a little bit better. You need to be more comfortable. You need to have a, a little bit more, and then it'll be easy, and you'll be able to deal with all the problems that you have. Um, but um, my proposition to you this morning, and I think that's what James would try to tell us in, in, in chapter 5, um, is that God has something to say about uh, our wealth, our, our wallets, and he has something to say about how we wait in suffering. If you would uh, open your Bibles, we're, we're in the book of James. Um, uh, we've been going through the book of James for uh, quite a few weeks now. Um, and as you know, we have been at times wrestling because James presents our faith in a way that puts it on the ground and almost kind of gets, gets a little uncomfortable 
When it talks about some of the things that we're going through, he talks about, you know, are you thinking about yourself? Are you thinking about God? Are you the center of your world or is God the center of your world? Or how, how's your tongue? What are you saying? How do you speak to one another? What, what is in your heart? What causes you to fight and quarrel? The things that we do day to day, uh, we think sometimes God has no say in and no, uh, wants to have no voice in. But really, that is everything about what James is trying to say is that the, the everyday stuff of life, the things that we go through, every crevice of our life, God has something to say. And what we believe directly impacts everything we do. Um, so my big idea uh, for you this morning is, um, as we look at the first 12 verses of chapter 5, is Christ's imminent return drives us to view our wealth and suffering through the lens of the gospel. Hear this one more time. Christ's imminent return drives us to view our wealth and suffering through the lens of the gospel. You know, I'll just preface this. This is not going to be a talk on like a way to tithe more and convince you to give more. I'm not, I just want to do what James does. And James just tries to remind us of what Jesus taught on money. A lot of what you look at James, he picks a lot from what Jesus' teaching was, a lot of from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus had a lot to say about money. But um, as we look and talk about wealth, God is less concerned about amounts, and he's more concerned about whether we are godly or ungodly. See, in the Bible, God talks a lot about uh, different categories of wealth and economics. And it kind of falls into one of four categories that God usually talks about people who have money. Um, one of them is the godly rich. Okay, these are people like Lydia in the book of Acts who used her wealth to literally launch out church planting endeavors to see the community of God flourish and to see things move forward. Then there's, there's the godly uh, poor. These are people like, uh, like Ruth like, that... Uh, they live off of the gleans of the fields that are uh, people who are harvesting that's left on the ground that falls out of their basket. And they love God and they live a hardworking, poor life, but they honor God with everything they have. See, amounts is not what God cares about. And then there's the, the ungodly rich. And there's a lot of what James uh, talks about here at the beginning of chapter five is people who will, will hoard their wealth and amass all that they can and live for themselves. And they'll even oppress and extort others so that they can have more for themselves. And then there's the, the ungodly poor that the Bible talks about, where you, you can read in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, people who have squandered uh, things due to uh, the sluggard or laziness or drunkenness. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about the fool, who the, the economic fallout of things of following the wisdom of this world versus uh, following God. Um, so as we talk this morning, know that I'm not trying to say how, this isn't a matter of how much, but uh, whether God is looking at, are we being godly or are we being ungodly? Um, so as we look at James uh, chapter 5, read it along with me. We're just going to look at the first six verses this morning, or at first here. Verse 1 says this, come now, you rich. Okay, so he's talking to people who find their identity in their riches. He's not talking necessarily to uh, believers and brothers. See, later in chapter, in verse 7, he'll talk about brothers. He's using, he's, he's addressing unbelieving, ungodly rich as to serve as an example for us. It's kind of a warning for us who are uh, 
the, uh, the godly rich, so to speak. And we have to be kind of careful here in, in America as we think about what is that too quick to put us, well, we're not that rich, you know, we're not quite that well off. Uh, according to the world's standards, if you make uh, $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of uh, the world's income. Uh, it puts a little bit different perspective on what we say as who, who is rich or poor. But th- th- that, again, that's not the scope. But we have to be careful how we say, like, uh, God hasn't given me anything. But God has truly blessed us, especially here from where we sit uh, in the American church. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Sounds familiar, something like Jesus once said. He said, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And you will, it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure or you have hoarded up treasure in the last days. See, the first example that James kind of puts out to us is this idea of hoarding. When he's talking about wealth, he looks at the ungodly rich, and the people James is describing are people that have, have piled up all their goods. They got, a, they got a, 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 you know, a garage full of like 10 cars. They got like three closets full of clothes that they can't even use, and people could probably benefit from if they gave them away, but they can't even use the things that they have, so they go to waste. Um, all of, the, all of the wealth uh, just corrodes, and they, at the end of their life, that's what they have left. Um, it says, it will eat your flesh like fire. And what James is meaning is that their obsession over temporal things, it will be what testifies against them in the last day. Uh, he, it goes right back to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, you know, where, where your treasure is, uh, there your heart will be. He says, store up treasures in heaven. See, the ungodly rich have stored up their treasures here on earth, and they, at the last day, they will have a heaping pile of wasted time and effort spent in amassing wealth, and that will be what uh, um, testifies against them in that day. They've, they've lived their lives for, they found their identity in, and they've worshipped everything temporary, the things that will not stand in the last day. And unfortunately, this is how our culture around us tends to live, is that live for today, tomorrow you die. And sometimes we can, we can fall easily tempted into that snare. See, Christ is returning, and we have to let eternity shape how we view our wealth. When we think about uh, eternity and how that impacts how we live today, where we put our treasure, where we put our efforts, and what we, uh, what we store up uh, matters to God. As we keep reading uh, in verse uh, 4, it says, Behold, the wages of laborers who, moved your field, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the, earthly, on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. See, James continues with this example of talking about defrauding. Now, people who uh, will take advantage of others, they will, for the, for the sake of their own gain, they will look at someone who is less 
off than them, that is even working for them and will extort them so that they can have more for themselves. See, in, in James's day, the landowners, they were the ones that are rich and wealthy, and they have the, the economic status, they have the position in society to make decisions, they get a vote, and the people who work on the fields, work on the land, they, they're low social status, low economic status, and they have like no real say. They're kind of at the whims of just being able to work, put food on their table day by day, and these are the people that James is saying they're being extorted by the ungodly rich, and they're saying, he's giving us a warning of what is, you know, what we do with our money and how we get our money does matter to God. Our culture might say, all right, get all you can any way you can, you know, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. But in God's economy, it's more, he has a very different mindset on what... Uh, finances look like and what matters and what, um, what we store up uh, for eternity. Essentially, these people uh, are economic bullies and they live off of preying on the godly poor, uh, some of whom may be to whom James is writing this letter. You know, in, James, in the first chapter, we talked about, you know, about facing trials of various kinds. And in a moment, we're going to talk about suffering. But the thing is, is that we can, we can face different types of suffering. Um, we can face different types of suffering. And Jesus still uh, has a thing to say about how we respond, even in times where we're being taken advantage of, where we may be uh, the ones that are taking advantage of others. God has a lot to say. Um, see, as far as the ungodly rich go, their business dealings, how they steward their resources, in no way lines up with uh, an eternal mindset. It has no, in no way lines up with the fruit of the gospel, of what God says. Um, and we must remember that the gospel compels us and, co- and God's word commands us to love God and love others. He calls us to be to radical stewardship and generosity. And see, what, what Jesus said is true. What you spend money on shows what you value. And essentially what that means is if, if God looked, if we looked at your bank statement, it would say what you love. It would say what you put your heart and invest in. Um, now, the beauty is that, you know, we're not looking at each other's bank statement. This isn't something for us to look at each other and be like, hey, what are you spending your money on? What are you spending your money on? But between you and God, what you spend your money on shows what you value. It shows your mindset of whether you're looking forward to Christ's return and eternity or to now. And hear me, wealth and material possessions are not bad. They're not bad. In fact, God gives them to us so that we can use them for others' good and His glory. This, this is what stewardship is. It's not hoarding or defrauding. It's it's, it's stewardship and generous stewardship that God has called us to. See, when I was preparing for this, there was a quote I liked from John Calvin. It said, God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. See, the things that we have are not meant just to be a mass so we can build and sit on our can and can all we get. It's so we can bless others and then use it for others' good and use it for God's kingdom. And as we, I'm not going to, if 
throw out different ways of like how to save and how much you should save and 10% tithing and all that. I just have a few thoughts that's helped me as how do, how do I think about from God's perspective, from, the, from God's word, a thought process on stewardship. And it's, it's, it's four things. It, the first thing is this. It says, very simply, I, I, I belong to Jesus. Romans talks about how we were all called to belong to Jesus. First uh, Corinthians says, we were bought with a price. We're not our own. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And it, the second is this, everything belongs to God. Haggai says all the silver and gold belongs to God. Psalm talks about the cattle on a thousand hills. All of it is God's. So if I belong to God, everything in the world belongs to God. And in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, everything I have is a gift. Everything. Everything you have is a gift from God. We have so much to be thankful for. Everything that we have, the air we breathe, the lungs that you're using to breathe it the mind that you're using right now to listen and hear and interpret what's going on around you. Uh, and lastly, if, if all that is true, and, and I'm called to be a generous steward. First Peter tells us to, be, to use the gifts, for, uh, the gifts that God has given us for others. And 2 Corinthians talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. See, God calls us to generous stewardship because he is a generous God. That is, that is an attribute of God, is that he is generous in giving. When, you, when we talk about going, and we, we were just in the schools this week, giving our time, giving our resources away just to be a blessing to the community, we're modeling and showing what God is, who he is to the community around us. See, we don't give to get more in return. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And like I said, he's given us so much. The air we breathe, the planet we live on. He gave himself up for us. He gave us himself. That's that's the crux of it. He gave himself for us. He gave up his body on the cross for us, for you, for me. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the extent of the gospel. that God, We have a generous God that wants to give us himself. And see, when we live a selfish life, a hoarding, a defrauding life, we end up living a wasted life, a distracted life, a pacified life. Hear, hear me on this. Let me just take a side. Uh, men, hear me on this. I just talked to you just for a second, to me and you, uh, is that I think sometimes, you know, God has called us to, to, to lead our homes, to provide for our families, and that's a good, godly thing. But sometimes we buy into this comfortable, Christian, uh, like, morphed view we have that all God wants for us is just to uh, kind of have build up a big enough bank account so our family can be comfortable and then we can drop a few dollars in the offering bucket and on Sunday, and then we'll walk out the door. That's, that, if, I'm not saying that it's not honorable to provide for your family, but if that's what we hold as the thing of biblical manhood to do and to lead, we're selling short of what God has called each of us to do. See, if, if we listen to what God's word says and he's calling us to a life of radical generosity and radical stewardship, that will, that will lead us to a very uh, generous life, 
a very risk-taking life, a life that is purposeful and adventurous. And I don't know about you, but that, that kind of speaks to me. I didn't really got, like to buy the whole, like, show up and sit and, like, look good every Sunday, but I wanted to God, the, the God that's calling me to be on adventure, to go on mission with him, to, like, take my life and use it for something bigger than just amassing, like, a nice bank account so I can be comfortable. See, God's called us to stewardship. He's called us to, uh, to use our profits, use our, wealth, use our resources for the welfare of the others, and use it for God's kingdom. For example, some of you guys are leaders in your own vocations, and you think that God doesn't want you to use that. We want to see you use that here. Use it for the church. Use it for God's kingdom. We want to see you lead small groups. We want to see you lead churches. We want to raise up people that will lead more churches, lead church plants, lead missions. We want to see you use your talents. Lead in your vocation. Represent Christ. I mean, it would be awesome to see all the leaders that we launch out of here just be leaders in the community, leaders in where they are, representing Christ because we model the greatest leader, Jesus Christ. The fact is this. Eternity is real, and Christ is coming back. And that is the biggest hope for some, but for some it will be the biggest terror. It's a sobering reminder for us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, we'll stand before Christ and he will see the blood of the Lamb on us, but he will ask us, how did you use the time and the resources I gave you? There's a, there's a poem that, if, if you've been around me or in my small group, you, I've, I've said this quote a lot. It's a poem by C.T. Studd. Um, I won't read the whole poem to you, but the, in every stanza, he ends each one with this refrain. He says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, Pastor James, Jesus' little brother, reminds us how the gospel shapes our wealth, and as we move forward, he's going to begin to shape and encourage us as we wait in the midst of suffering. Let's look at the, uh, the last few verses of this section, 7 through 12. It says this, it says, be patient. Some of us are, are lost right there. Um, believe me, when Amazon comes out with how to teleport packages to you, I will pay. I will pay for that. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Key phrase here, establish your hearts, for the coming of the, of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
See, in light of what James has talked about in his, in his letter, uh, at the end of chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 5, what uh, Jeff reminded us of so well, that our life is a mist, um, and how our, our perspective um, should be on how we view those around us and how we view our, our wealth, how we view our lives as prioritizing God in our lives. Um, James calls us to be patient. He says, therefore, be patient. Brothers. Now, it's some of, I cringe at that. And he uses, a, he uses an image of a farmer. Now, I'm, I'm not a farmer. I don't claim to be, but I know some things. I've looked up some things about farming. Um, that certain crops grow in certain seasons. Uh, certain places in the world, you can only grow certain crops. There's some things you just can't control based on the climate you're in. There's a season for planting soybean around here, and there's a season for planting wheat. There are precise times of the year that if you want to yield the right amount of crop, if you want to make a profit on the crop that you plant, you have to get it in in a certain window, or you're going to risk losing crop. See, as a farmer, there are certain things you can't control, like when the rain comes, or if it comes, if it comes early, or it comes late. But a farmer works hard. He tills the soil, he prepares the fields. At a certain point, though, he must wait patiently for the crops on his land to grow. He's patient, he's not idle. He's always getting ready for the harvest. But he's, and he's working hard, but he's patiently expecting nature to do its part. See, when it comes to us and God, a lot of times we expect God to work on our timetable. Fix my problem now, please. And while you're at it, can you kind of tell me what's going on, why we're doing all this, why you're taking me through this? God is like a farmer cultivating each one of us. As a part of the family of God, he is, he's, he's correcting, he's pruning. Psalm 1 says, it talks about the righteous man being like a tree planted by streams of water, that it bears its fruit in its season. God is always at work tilling and pruning and preparing, but it's not always when we want it. God's continuing that work in us, making us more like Jesus. This is, this is what the Bible talks about as uh, we use the word sanctification to describe this ongoing process that God is doing in us and making us more like Christ as, that won't be complete until Christ returns or we're in heaven with him. And see, while we wait, we must understand that Christ's coming is imminent. We patiently wait, but with urgency, knowing that our hearts must be ready. A farmer looks for the harvest, the culmination of everything that he has, uh, has gone into the crop that year. He's, he's like, all right, this, it's all, this whole year rides on this harvest season. I got I to gotta put all of it into that. As we think about our lives, the coming of the Lord is like a spiritual harvest Jesus uses this example, and our hearts should be ready for everything in our life in this season that we have should aim to be looking to that day. This is a struggle for me because I want God to work now. I want him to have things 10 years from now so I can like, be more understanding, know what's going on, kind of have that life wisdom. How is your heart? How patient are you? How confident are you in God's timing? 
See, even the seasons of mundane, the seasons of tilling, the seasons of pruning, which can be painful. And like, like a good father, Jesus is always, uh, he disciplines those he loves, Hebrews talks about. And he chastises every son whom he receives. God is sometimes, he's working on us and sometimes it's uncomfortable. But no matter what situation you're in, what season of life you're in, God is at work in you. For some of us right now, it's harder than other times. See, even, even if you're here, sitting here, and you think everything seems good, we are all just one phone call away. One doctor's report away from the ball dropping, from the floor falling out from under our feet, and our world being turned upside down. As we'll talk about here in a moment, it's hardest to be patient when suffering comes. It's hard to trust God is at work when things look grim. When things get difficult, usually the thing first affected is our words. And not, in verse 9, he talks about, he says, don't grumble with one another. See, when we, when we get impatient, the first thing I, I tend to do is I'll, I'll get short with my wife. I'll be grumbling and, you know, impatient with her. And the, any mistake that we make, it's her fault or I'm, I'm kind of just antsy, but it's really just my impatient spirit. And James begins to let us know that it's, it's, not, um, it's not the easy times, but the difficult times where we, he, he urges us to be patient. See, when our patients are tested, you know, grumbling is such a good word for it, too. I mean, like you think about the Israelites when they grumbled, like, you know, it's just like, Moses, why are you taking us? Is this, why are we in the desert again? Like, why are we going to eat food again? Are we going to eat this manna stuff again? And we'll do that too. We'll grumble towards one another. We'll be like, God, why, why am I in this situation? How come, how come they're not facing any pain right now? Or why are you using them in that way? Or you know, how come they don't understand what you've taught me in this? And they just seem to keep just driving me crazy. How much longer do I have to be in this season? How long do I have to walk through this? How come that person doesn't have to? What James reminds us is, is that God's at work in others as well as us. He's pruning this guy. He's, he's, he's correcting this person. He's training this person. He's helping this person put to death that part of their flesh. God's at work in all of us. And, and when we tend to put the focus on ourselves of like my problems, like we talked about in, uh, earlier when Rick shared about having our worldview shaped by us and me, and it's all about me, we basically say, hey, I'm the only one that's important. Your problems don't matter. So don't, don't grumble against one another. Know that God is at work pruning and teaching and correcting and training them as well. And it, they may bear their fruit in their season, as it talks about in Psalm 1. See, ultimately, he wants us to be patient and not grumble because he knows ultimately and not judge others because at, at a, when Christ returns, we're going to be standing before the one who judges. As we keep reading, he makes it clear the point of suffering and patience. He merges them together. He, he talks, up, talks about the prophets in verse 10. He look at them. You know, the, Hebrews 11 is a great, is a, is a great passage. 
Um, if you, if, it's a great passage of hope. Usually a lot of us are familiar with like the first 30 verses of it where it talks about all the great people like Abraham and, and uh, Moses and all the great things they did and the faith they had. And then they, we get to verse 35, and I'll just read it really quickly for you. If you, you can turn a couple pages back. And it's, in verse 35, halfway through it says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom, of whom this is crazy, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By show of hands, how many of you guys have a lot of respect for all the prophets and all the heroes of the Bible? They're great. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you want to be one? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Because we know it's hard. See, James knows that not only are there seasons of life where God's going to be pruning us and correcting us, but just following God, being steadfast and true to his word and living as a follower of Christ is hard. And it's going to involve pain and suffering. Sometimes people are going to mistreat you, malign you, think, well, you're just, you're just old-fashioned. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not with the times, okay? You're on the wrong side of history. See, the heroes of the Old Testament, they looked, their whole faith and anticipation was built in the coming of the Messiah. We live in a time where we know what Christ has done and we look forward to anticipation of Christ coming back. We have a Father in heaven that is going to return and he's going to make all things new. He's going to make every wrong right and James, James, James continues to go deeper. He kind of pulls off a little bit more of the scab, a little bit more into the heart, and he kind of like reminds us because suffer, suffering is deep. And he looks at the person of Job. James refers uh, to the steadfastness of Job. Now, steadfastness is just, just patience on steroids, okay? Every one of James's hearers would be, would be full aware of the story of Job. If you... Uh, it's a long book. I would encourage you to read it, to take time, to, to walk through it. It's about a guy, and Job was a, was a godly man. And he was a wealthy man, too. Um, he had a lot of riches. He had a lot of property. He had 10 children. Um, and he, he loved God. He honored God with his life. And Satan comes basically to God, and he says, hey, hey Job only loves you because you blessed him so much. Now, if you take all that away, he, he won't love you. He won't be faithful to you. And, and God, in a mystery, God, God lets Satan basically afflict Job, have his way with him. And Job is unaware of any of this, right? He, he, we get to know because we're kind of, the writer is telling us from behind the curtain what's going on with God and Satan, but Job's unaware completely of what is the cause of the drastic circumstances. He loses all of his possessions, all 10 of his children die. I can't imagine the weight of burying one children, one child, but to bury 10. All he's left with is his, is his wife and some friends, and his wife basically tells him, he said, looking at the, the situation, she says, you should just curse God and die. Right? It's a helpful... The, 
He he has friends that spend most of the book trying to convince him of, hey, you probably did something wrong because you deserve this. Believe me, those are terrible friends. (laughs) Like, all through it, Job wrestles with why. Why is God letting me go through this? Now, he doesn't lose faith. Job wrestles. He's not perfect. Don't idolize Job. Because like, oh, I should be like Job. I just got to muscle it through and be perfect and just like deal with whatever comes my way. He wrestled with God. And God talked pretty strong to him too. But here's, here's why this is, this is so helpful for us. In this room, I know that there's suffering that many of us are facing. Face, that we're, we walk around on Sunday unaware of like the, the suffering, the pain that we're walking through. Some of us this week, the, the ball has dropped. The floor is gone. What we thought we were standing on as reality and steady is just... And we, we don't know why God is letting us walk through the things He is letting us walk through. See, the, the phone call came, the doctor's report came turn the world upside down. Others of us may be suffering from people's injustice towards us, like people who we work for, they're, they're taking advantage of us and we don't have the resources or the understanding to stand up against them. There's death, there's financial stress. We're trying to figure out how we're going to keep food on the table. But the hope of Job is that as intense as suffering we can face, and Job had it Job had it pretty bad. I don't know many people that had it worse than Job. It's that God is faithful and steadfast to us. James reminds, James is calling us to be steadfast because we have a steadfast God. All this, tons of Psalms talk about the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And no matter how dark our circumstances, God can use them for his good and his glory. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what Joseph said to his brothers. You know, when he lived a life and they sold him into slavery and he, he, he says to him at the end when they finally are, he confronts them and they need his help, he says, you know, hey, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, we may, we may never see on this side of eternity the reason for the suffering that we walk through. We may be like Joe. We may be like, I don't know why. And I, God, does, God doesn't promise us that he's going to give us a why for everything that we go through. He does talk about a hope that in eternity he's going to make all things right. 2 Corinthians talks about this in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They will go. They will pass away. They will rot and rust. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Our hope is not in everything being made perfect in this life. Our hope is in a good God who is going to bring perfection one day. We can't buy it. We can't speed it up. As much as we try, we can't prepare for any of that. But we know God's promises are true no matter what. He's coming back and he will make all things new. And see, he, lastly, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus said that exact same thing. But when our lives are shaped by patience and steadfastness, we can be free to be, have a balanced 
like tempered life. I mean, there's nothing more impressive to me than see someone who's, who's like, you're, you're going through what? And they're just like, oh, well, I know God's got it. Well, are you kidding me? I would be all over the place. I would be running around like a chicken with my head cut off. But we can live steadfast, patient, balanced. Let our yes be yes, our no be no. We don't have to, you know, when we get in stressful situations, we'll tend to commit to things that we don't need to be. We'll tend to, like, not commit to things we should be because we're trying to, like, react to what's going on. God is merciful and steadfast with us. And we complain thinking God is slow because he doesn't snap on our timeline. God is patient, God is long-suffering, and God is good. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Church elder Matt Johnson will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to his great commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website, spotswoodls.org. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram, spotswoodls. Now here's Matt with a conclusion to this week's sermon. My big question for you is this. Does your life say more about what is temporary or what is eternal? We can very easily turn temporary things into, that are good things from God into things that we put in the place of God. We can turn our circumstances into things that become overwhelming and become like, God can't handle that. Well, let me tell you, God can handle all of it. He's been doing it for a long time and he's going to keep doing it. Pray with me. God, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to, to be up here and stand and proclaim your word, God. Only, uh, it's, not, it's not me, God, it's, but it's your word that we all need that sits and weighs on us. God, we, we need to mold our life to. But God, there's so much hope in what you provide to us, God. You're a good, generous God that loves to give. God, you're a steadfast, patient God that was steadfast with us when we were in our sin. God, you were patient with us when we, when we rebelled against you. God, you, you met us where we were and you stayed with us, God, and you suffered and waited with us. God, I pray that this morning, God, that those that are suffering, where it's the, the floors dropped out, God, that they would know that you're good. That at all times you're good. And that you're gonna you're gonna walk through and that you're gonna use it, no matter how dark it seems, God. You see it from eternal perspective. God, help us, give us eyes to see our lives, how you see them. God, see our suffering the way you see them. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. This week, church elder Matt Johnson continued the series in the book of James on the ground gospel. As part nine of the series was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, August 12, 2018. 
These podcasts are available weekly on iTunes and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to SpotswoodLS.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.